You know, there's a, an incredible truth that uh, I think we spend a lifetime as believers uh, trying to understand. And it is this, that, that the God who made heaven and earth uh, when we look at the night sky and see the expanse of the night sky and try to even start to fathom uh, all the things that we can barely see and how long it even takes that light to get to us so that we can see what light is on this side of that, um, <clears throat> we can get really, uh, we can start to feel really, really, really small. And rightfully so. Because um, the expanse of what God has created is just extraordinary and mind-boggling. It is so far beyond our comprehension, which points us to the Creator. If His creation is so far beyond our comprehension, whether it on the macro or on the micro, I mean, even as we as as we delve further and further into the micro of of creation, it still is just unfathomably uh, complex and intricate and it points to a creator who is so far from us being able to comprehend uh that that it it just uh, it 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 just makes us feel so so tiny and and this is the same creator who is also going to stand as mankind's judge and it is both uh, mind-boggling who he is and all that he is and yet a fearsome thing to consider that it is he of which the holy of holies that we will all stand before um, when we when we die when we after we take our last breath the next thing that we're going to realize is is standing before God to be judged accordingly to our sin now I'll get more. There is an there is an escape from that that we'll talk about in a little bit here, but that is a fearsome thing to consider. Now consider that the God who created the heavens and the earth with a a mere word is also the one who has come from heaven to earth to that we would be known by Him and that and that He would be known by us. And that he would bring us into his very family. So, even though we are such such tiny creatures and fallible creatures at that, I mean, when we think about all that God has created, the one thing that just has proven that they will screw it up is those who are created in His image. I mean, we we just find ways and new ways. Romans chapter 1 talks about how even humanity finds new ways of doing evil things. And uh, But yet, God has come from heaven to earth to us, to rescue us. I think of, uh, I think of Mary, um, the Virgin Mary, when she was told that she was going to be with child, that this child was going to be the Savior of all mankind. Uh, her response to that in Luke chapter 1, she says, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. 
He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich He has sent away empty. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to His offspring forever. What Mary was was praising God for is, is those two dimensions where God is both so completely other than her that, that she's undeserving to even, even be in contact with Him in any way or to receive blessing from Him. And yet, at the same time, He is both imminently present to bless and to save. And she is just exalting God for that. Well, as we get in further into Hebrews, um, Hebrews is also dealing with this very uh, uh, perplexing thing that the God who created all things would humble Himself to die in our place on a cross that we would be brought into the kingdom of God. In chapter 1 of Hebrews, uh, we see that that the thing that is put front and center, the message that's front and center for us is that Jesus is greater. Specifically greater than um, the first one of the mentions at the beginning is the, the prophets. Um, that, that God had spoken to us in many times, in many ways. He spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Then, so Jesus is greater than the prophets. Jesus is also then the, the larger point being made throughout the first chapter and into the second chapter is Jesus is greater than the angels. And again, I think I mentioned this last week, but the argument that is made here in Hebrews isn't that the angels are less, lesser, that, that, that there's sort of this argument that brings the angels sort of down off of any glorious pedestal they might be on, but rather that the angels are glorious because God made them this way, but Jesus is more glorious. Jesus is greater. Jesus is more exalted because Jesus is God. And the angels, it says at the end of chapter 1 there, that they, he says, are not, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve and get this, for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. So as, as incredible as God has made angels, God has created humanity, mankind, in His image. And the angels are ministering servants of His to, uh, to help here for the sake of, it says, those who are to inherit salvation. And so God has His eye very much so on you and I. Those who have come from the seed of Adam and Eve down through the generations. Those who continue to mess up over and over again and betray God and defy Him and rebel against Him. God is seeking to restore, to reconcile, to save. Now chapter 2 kind of makes a bit of a transition. While the first part of of chapter 2 in Hebrews uh, continues to make this point. And even to begin to make the point then that... um, now that uh, chapter 2 gets into Jesus not just being greater than the angels, uh, greater than the prophets, but that He's the very one who now has humbled Himself to become our sacrifice. 
And uh, part of the thing that really gets driven home in chapter 2 is that even though Jesus took on humanity, um, the, John, John's Gospel, he says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So even though God came to earth and took upon the limitations of, of becoming human, it did not make Him less God. He willingly took upon limitations uh, that we experience as human beings uh, which the end of chap- towards the end of chapter two it says these are the very reasons that that we can trust him and the reason very reason that he's able to help us is that he's plunged the depths of suffering and temptation as we have. He is so well acquainted with what you and I go through that he is able to perfectly represent us before the Father and minister to us in the here and now. And um, but chapter 2 gets into that connection of God coming from heaven to earth to save us. And so we're going to continue on here, pick up in verse 5 uh, this morning. And in fact, um, one of the interesting dynamics of, of chapter 2 is that while Hebrews chapter 1 really drives home that point that Jesus is the, 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 ra- the full radiance of God, um, he, he is God. And so he possesses all the glory and honor of God. And then as chapter 2 speaks of him humbling himself to become our sacrifice, um, it, it, at, towards the end there makes the point then that this is the very, actually, the, instead of this lessening the glory of Jesus Christ, it actually enhances, this is the very thing that enhances his glory and honor. Uh, because he has come to save us. So let's look at uh, chapter 2, verse 5 through 9. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, which this is kind of, I, I, I think, uh, interesting. And from a, um, if you're an English teacher, you go, you didn't quote your source, right? <laughs> But this is also kind of interesting because we don't know who the author of Hebrews is. So what is presented to us at the beginning is, here's the Word of God, right? Um, this isn't, this isn't, uh, and, and, and it all is the Word of God, even when, even when the author is introduced. So I'm not trying to, to, to suggest that it isn't if, if it says, I, Paul, you know, for instance, I'm writing this to you. That doesn't make it less the Word of God, but rather that Hebrews, the focus of it is the radiance of Christ and all that He is and all that He's come to do. And it never, it never diverts from that. Not even for a moment to say who the author is. And here, as, as the author quotes um, various scriptures, uh, they, the, the author of those scriptures remains anonymous as well in the discussion of this because it's understood this is the Word of God. So regardless of, of whose hand it came through that God inspired this, uh, this is the Word of God. And so he says, it has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little, lower, little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. And this is a, a quote from Psalm 8. And... Uh, um, which Psalm 8 is just a fantastic psalm. But, and there's, there's some interesting dynamics with a lot of the psalms. Um, there is a, um, 
So this, this is a good thing to know, especially as you go through the Old Testament, and there's some in the New Testament as well, that there's, there's often uh, to, um, to the things that God prophesies, there's lesser and greater fulfillments. So oftentimes in the Old Testament, whether it be in the Psalms or, or in various other places, um, there is a lesser fulfillment or an immediate fulfillment in the terms of the, the history of things, where the psalmist perhaps is, is, uh, it, there's, it's a, there is a historical context that that is set within where there's something going on, um, that, that God is doing there and that the psalmist is speaking to under the inspiration of God. And yet that those very words proclaim something greater that was unknown at that moment, but yet has been now revealed in the coming of Christ. And so we've already seen that in Hebrews because chapter 1 uh, keeps quoting seven times the number of perfection, by the way, um, which just kind of uh, puts the exclamation point on the point that is being made in chapter 1, that Jesus is greater. Um, seven times the, the scriptures are quoted and put into the context of the coming of Christ. Yet if you go back and read many of those, at first, at first uh, glance you'd be like, this talks about Jesus? But now we have the benefit of God's perspective going, yeah, this was pointing to Christ and what I was getting ready to do, that greater fulfillment. And so here it says, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? Um, this is a, a, such a, an incredible reality that God uh, considers us. That God has a love for us. And and uh, and yet the same passage is not it, it, it's sort of a dual purpose deal because the reality is God loves us. But this passage also is speaking about Christ. Who is the God, the son who comes for us. And so there's a, a way here which Hebrews begins to unfold Christ as also being sort of the the, the perfect representation um, on the hum, on the human side of things, the perfect representation of what we are to be. So not that we're to be God, but rather that we were created in the image of God to have dominion on the earth, to be the ref, the representative of God on this earth, the reflection of God's glory to His creation, and we've utterly failed at that, um, and we're. We, we are not capable of fulfilling that. Though we are attempting, we fail. And yet Christ is able to fulfill that perfectly. And so we, you uh, made Him a little lower, a little while, lower than the angels. It was a temporary thing that Jesus took on human flesh and dwelt among us, you have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, um, now this is another interesting thing because in Genesis chapter 1, uh, verse 28, um, God says in, uh, there at the beginning of creation to, to, to mankind, hey, uh, I've given you the earth. I want you to, to be fruitful and multiply on the earth and I, and I want you to have dominion over all the things that I've created here. Now that, uh, we, 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 def, we, I think you and I understand what that means to have dominion over that is not to say you rule it with an iron fist and you use it up because it's all yours. 
Right? We understand that's not what he's saying. It's to be a representative of God among his creation, to be a steward on his behalf and to reflect his glory to all of creation. That is to, to be his representative, his ambassador here. And so there is, a, in putting everything in subjection under his feet, there is a, a way in which God has done that, that he created us in his image to have dominion over his creation, and yet we have utterly failed. And yet here in Hebrews, it makes uh, the greater understanding of that evident here as we continue on. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. Now, wait, so who is he talking about? Him and his? And is this Jesus he's talking about? Is this mankind he's talking about? Um, at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Verse 9. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels. That is, that he took on the limitations of human flesh. Namely, Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. And so now you know who the author of Hebrews under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit had ultimately in mind. Though there may have been a thought here of, of the dominion mankind was given over creation and how mankind had failed Ultimately in view was the perf- the perfection of Christ, the perfect fulfillment of Christ in all creation. That Him being creator of all things, which was already mentioned in chapter 1, and sustainer of all things, is now the one who takes on human flesh. And, it, and, and then the author of here of Hebrews drives this home that what is really of, of deep consideration here is that it's Jesus who's crowned with glory and honor because of what? Because of the suffering of death so that by grace, the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. There are three things here that... that um, well, first of all, before we, we get to that, the, the three things here that I, I think we, we ought to understand, comprehend, and walk away with here today... There's one thing I wanted to mention. So as we read Hebrews, Hebrews is it's probably good to think of Hebrews as like a sermon. It's it's not um, you know as uh, Dave read from uh, Chronicles, and that reads uh, a lot more like like a history document. It's it's the word of God. It's the powerful word of God. But we can almost go back to Chronicles in a way like a resource, right? Like we can go, there's, there's things about a king. Now it's an entire work that unfolds what God, who God is and what he's doing. But there's a way in which Hebrews flows in a different way because it's a different type of writing. Um, that is more like, say, Paul's epistles. Where you, it is meant to just sit down and take in in its entirety. So the danger, one of the things we, we are at risk of in me only preaching through, say, a few verses at a time here is Having things uh, removed from from their over, overall context, which which I, I, I'm attempting to try and make sure we include here, um, but keep in mind that Hebrews would have been taken in as the whole thing at once. 
so that we can flow from the beginning of what's unfolding in chapter 1 through all of the arguments and the, and the revelation of Christ and all that He is. It builds one thing on top of another so that the whole point gets driven home very emphatically by the time you work your way through to the end of Hebrews. So that the application that you're picking up along the way through Hebrews is built on the strong foundation of Jesus Christ that's laid throughout. And uh, just like you telling a story to someone, uh, you might start with some details. And if you're a really good storyteller, you'll leave some little cliffhangers along the way and then really bring it home towards the end and just like, wow! Right? You leave people hanging along the way. You build them up and then there's these questions that you kind of leave along the way that get answered over here towards the end where there's this sort of excitement as the story comes to a conclusion. And the author of Hebrews kind of develops things in that, in a similar fashion. And so, um, so keep that in mind because I want to encourage you that as we go through Hebrews, uh, and maybe you sit down in your, in your time uh, alone with the Lord and you, you want to read through Hebrews, which I encourage you to do. I would encourage you to try to read through it in as large a swath as you can at a time. And for some of you, it may be that you, get to, you can read through the whole thing in one shot. For some of you, it, it may be a chapter is doing pretty good. That's okay. I would just encourage you to read through it um, uh, to t- try and as much as you can take it all in as one, um, because that is really how it's intended to be taken in. So keep that in mind. We're going to look at three things here today. Um, well, the first one is in our passage today. The first one is this: that as as chapter one uh, develops the supremacy of Christ and all His radiance and glory as being God the Son, um, and chapter two begins to get into Him. Uh, um, uh, stepping out of, of uh, heaven into earth to, um, to die for mankind and give himself a sacrifice for our sin. Point one is Jesus did not abandon his supremacy and radiant glory when he took on the likeness of mankind. It did not make him less God that he took on human flesh. In fact, that's why we call him uh, the God-man. Um, or, or we say things like he is fully God and fully man. That God did not, that Jesus Christ did not sacrifice all the attributes of his, of his divinity, of his Godship, uh, in order to take on human flesh. But rather, he, he took willingly on the limitations of human flesh that we experience so that he could become our merciful and faithful high priest is what Hebrews says. That He would be acquainted with our sorrows. That He would be acquainted with our temptations. That He he and He alone can perfectly represent us before the Father because He and He alone not only is without sin, but He has endured all the suffering and temptations that you and I have endured. So if anyone is to stand as our judge or to stand as our faithful high priest before the Father, it is, it is He who is qualified to do that because He knows from experience what it is to be human. And we can take great confidence in that. And so we have uh, Jesus. He is in fact, uh, in this understanding that He is fully God and fully man, that 
that even uh, in the flesh that He is still Jesus Christ, the radiant glory of God, that it is precisely because of what He does um, that makes Him so uh, exalted. Um, Now, He is God, and so He's worthy of exalting, period, but precisely because of what He's done for us, that he is to be exalted. Look at, uh, in fact, if we were to look at um, uh, Philippians, uh, Philippians chapter two. Kind of jumping around here, so you guys have that one. Philippians chapter two, verses eight through eleven. I'm going to pull that up. Yeah, sweet. You guys are on it, man. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ humbled himself on our behalf And it is that which compels us not just to worship Him as God, but to worship Him as compassionate and merciful God who would seek to save us. Second thing is this. Second point is that mankind was designed and called to represent God to all creation by ruling on his behalf. But sin has made this impossible for us to fulfill. But Jesus perfectly fulfills this command. In fact, the only way in which you and I are going to be able to fulfill what God has designed us to do, created in his image to be and to do, is if it is done in and through Christ, He enables and empowers us to fulfill that very thing. And Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of that. The perfect example of that. Now Hebrews goes on to to say here that um, it says, Now uh, we do not yet see everything in subjection to Him. And this is a little teaser here that that Hebrews is going to further develop and that is this. It's not all done yet. The work of Christ to, to deal with sin at the cross, was that work was completed at the cross. And Hebrews will make that point very strongly. That when Jesus Christ gave Himself a sacrifice for our sin, it was done. It was finished. Sacrifice completed and sufficient for all time, for all people who would call upon Him by faith. But... All that is going to be done through Christ has not yet been accomplished. There is more yet to come. There is more yet to be experienced. And so we have this little teaser here that we have not, we do not yet see everything in subjection to Him. There is more yet to come. We have a hope that is still uh, yet to completely unfold. We have a hope that Christ is returning to take His rightful place over all creation Um, where we become heirs with Him uh, of all that God has created and and, uh, brought as blessing for us. 
But it makes the point then, but we see Him. Christ is the perfect fulfiller of, of these things. In fact, in chapter 1, verse 2, it says, uh, it, it says, but in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things. Um, so when we see uh, in Colossians, it talks about Christ being the firstborn. Um, the idea of Christ being the firstborn is not that you know God had a bunch of kids and He just happened to be the first one. That is completely false and heretical. Um, but the idea is this, that Christ is first in, in preeminence, in, in importance. He is, he is first in line in honor and glory. And, um, and so, here He is the, the heir of all things. And so Christ being the exalted One, the uh, radiant image of God, God the Son, He takes the head in leading those whom He saves into the blessing of God. Now because of... Uh, well, let's keep, keep going here. Third thing is this. Um, we don't yet see the total fulfillment of all that's going to be done. Um, we've, but we have seen Him who suffered and died on our behalf to bring us into the glory we were created to possess. If you ever wake up someday and you kind of have this feeling like something in this world seems broken and something about my life seems like it's not quite in sync with what it should be, that's... <laughs> that's that thing inside you that knows you were created in the image of God for some glorious stuff and this world is broken and you along with it. That we have not yet been perfected and neither has this earth. In fact, the Scriptures say that even the created things are groaning just waiting for that day when all things are restored to their former glory, to the glory they were intended but Jesus Christ is crowned with glory and honor because He tasted death for us. And it was the grace of God that He would do that. He suffered unto death that we would be, become the righteousness of God. That we would become the children of God through faith in Him. In fact, later on in Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verse, verse 2, um, we get this strong encouragement, you know, to, uh, to, to run with endurance the race that is set before us. And in verse 2 it says, Looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He suffered death for us and became our perfect sacrifice because our sin had to be dealt with. You and I will never enter the kingdom of God apart from Christ. Our sin separates us from God for eternity, forever. And we have no hope of changing that. But God sent His Son, His only Son, into the world to take our sin upon Himself and the wrath of God against our sin upon Himself so that we could be forgiven of that 
And in exchange for our sin, God gives us the righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ. So that we may enter the kingdom of God as His child. And so, I mentioned earlier that we will stand before God and that there will be judgment on our sin. This is true. But it will be brought against us in one of two ways. One, directly against us because we are sinners and we have violated God in all sorts of ways and betrayed Him and rebelled against Him and we do not deserve the kingdom of God, but we deserve His wrath and His wrath will be poured out on us. Or, we by faith take hold of the grace through Jesus Christ that's been extended to us as a gift. The forgiveness comes through Him that God's wrath has been poured out on Jesus Christ and rather than receiving the wrath of God for our own sin, God's wrath is placed upon Christ and we rather enter into the kingdom of God with His righteousness, not our own. The fourth point is this. Because of what Christ has done for mankind, He is exalted far above all others. And this is why we gather here every week to worship the name of Christ. It's why we, it's why we take communion on the first Sundays. We, we take communion together to remember what Christ did for us. His sacrifice for us. And we worship and honor Him for all that He's done. Philippians 2, pull that up again if you would. Philippians 2, 8 through 11. I'd like you to read along with me on this one. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Realize that there is a time coming where every single person who has ever been created is going to bow their knee and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It will either be out of fear of His coming judgment that is about to fall on them, or it will be out of a love and gratitude that He has rescued us from God's judgment. Every single one of us here will have that moment. And you will, have the, ever, you will either be received into God's family at that point because you have believed in His Son whom He sent for you, or you will be forever rejected from the family of God and from His kingdom to suffer judgment for your sin. And so I ask you today, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Will you do that willingly? Have you done it already? Or will you do it willingly today to confess Him as Lord and Savior? Your Lord, your Savior who died for you. Will you receive Him as your Lord and your Savior? Or will you confess it on that fateful day when you stand before God in His judgment and realize 
that you missed the best opportunity that you ever had to receive the gift of God and now stand in the wake of His judgment. My prayer is that every one of us would take hold of the gift of God extended to us. That He sent His Son to die in our place. That we ought to worship Him as our Savior and as our Lord. And as Hebrews says that we looked at last week in the beginning of chapter 2, it says, Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or obedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? There's no escape for us if we reject Jesus Christ, God's Son, who's been sent for us. Believe and be saved. Call out to Him, for He says that all who call upon Him in faith will not be turned away, but they will be received as children of God into His kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for, for Your presence, for Your love for us, that You would love us so much, Lord, that You would consider us, that you, would, that you would reach out to us to save us, that You would send Your Son to die in our place and become our perfect sacrifice. Lord, that You would bring us into Your kingdom, into Your family. Oh God, there's no way the Lord, we could ever deserve that. Lord, You saw us in our helpless state and You sent Your Son that we would be saved saved from your, your wrath, saved from Your judgment, that we would receive Lord, all the blessing of becoming Your children, all the blessing of inheriting, uh, Lord, uh, eternal life. And God, I just ask that uh, You would help us to, to have a greater understanding of what that means. And for those here, Lord, who are present, who are still trying to um, perhaps wrestling with the idea of giving you control of their life, of trusting you when everybody else is proven untrustworthy. Um, when they consider, Lord, uh, whether or not they can do this on their own or earn heaven on their own, Lord, I just ask that you would impress upon them, Lord, that you have extended a gift to them that they would receive it today by faith and call You Lord and Savior for themselves and walk in Your ways. Now a child of God. Thank You. We worship You and exalt the name of Christ who gave Himself for us. And In His name we pray. Amen.